Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Speaking of the virus, of course, everybody, you know, uses the term, well, some, you know, that we'll have to do all this. This is the new normal until a vaccine comes along. And at the moment, currently around the world, I believe there's something like 170 vaccine candidates are now in development. That means 170 different laboratories around the world are working on a vaccine with 15 already in human trials. But would you be interested if somebody said to you, look, you know, um, we have a vaccine here. We'd like to test it out. Do you want to be a guinea pig? I'm sure you've all watched the movie, by the way, Contagion, or one of those movies where the actual doctors themselves became their own human guinea pigs. Well, on the line is Dr. Ellie Cannon, who's now taking part in a human trial for a vaccine in Oxford University. Good afternoon, Ellie. Good afternoon. Uh, Ellie, I mean, this, uh, am I right in thinking there's 170 different vaccines currently in development at the moment, or is that figure very high? It sounds very high to me. I'm probably only aware of the one sort of more locally, I suppose. So mm. I'm very aware of obviously the one I'm involved in. And I know that Imperial College in London um, have also started recruiting for a trial. But I'm sure there is a race around the world to find the vaccine. So it's mm. probably quite high. I don't know if that's the exact figure. Well, well, we'll come to your you being the guinea pig in a few minutes, but in relation to all these laboratories in Oxford and Stanford and everywhere else and all these Pfizer and all these big Johnson & Johnson, I believe, are working on a vaccine at the moment as well, do they communicate? Do you, do you all work together because it's a kind of global pandemic or is it every man for himself and whoever gets it out there first makes the most amount of money and gets a licence on it? How does it work or how does that work? Um, so, of course, there's huge communication and discussion between the scientific communities. And even, I think, um, from my knowledge of what's going on with the vaccination situation in the UK, even with the drug companies, the drug companies have committed to do this, not not for a profit at all, but it isn't about the profit-making. This is about the race to find the answer. I'm not involved myself in... Mm. Um, producing or any research in vaccination. I am simply a volunteer, just like any volunteer who's non-medical. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what made you decide to be a volunteer or how did you get to get into a situation where you ended up being a volunteer? Was, were you asked? No, so interestingly, um, as the rates of COVID have reduced, thankfully, over the last couple of months, um, even in London, which was obviously very badly hit, um, the people, the research scientists who are running um, the vaccination trial, they need to make sure that the people who they're vaccinating, their guinea pigs, are going to be coming into contact with COVID somehow. Mm-hmm. Now, it wouldn't be ethical to do what Edward Jenner did 200 years ago and actually try and give us COVID. That would yeah, you remember your mother connected. used to do that when she found a kid with chicken pox. She'd drag exactly. you over and rub you off. Exactly. <laughs> yes, quite. So it wouldn't really be ethical to do that. So they wanted a cohort of people who were most likely to come into contact with COVID just in their, in their routine daily life. So that's going to be the healthcare professionals. So there was a call out for healthcare professionals to be vaccine volunteers, which I received an email just as a GP in London, and I was asked 
um, to join, just like everybody else. And a couple of people from my practice, we decided we would do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up doing it. Okay, well then how will they know? I mean, is this, firstly, is this, a, is this like a double blind test or a, a single blind test? Or how do they know it will actually work? Because they'll never know if you actually come into communication with anybody with it in the first place. Yes. So basically what they do, so it is, it is blind, absolutely. So um, you either get the new um, vaccination for COVID or you get a placebo, which in this case is a meningitis vaccination. Okay. Um, obviously, I don't know which one I've had. And then every week I have a swab. So I take a swab on myself to see if I have come into contact with um, COVID um, just like the swabs you would do if you thought you might have COVID. Okay. And so far, so I got vaccinated four weeks ago, and so far I have had three antibody tests. So that's how they are testing to see whether the vaccination works. They are seeing whether or not your immune system responds to the vaccination. Well, here, now I'm confused, okay, because when you get a vaccine, or well, maybe I'm thinking old school here, and, and vaccines like polio and smallpox were live vaccines, Mm. Uh, does your body, when they inject a vaccine into you, does your body then not um, automatically produce antibodies anyway? Yes, it will do, but the you could only join the trial if you didn't have antibodies to start with. So the first test was to have an antibody test. So everybody who joined the trial did not have antibodies. So the only reason now I would get antibodies would be from the vaccination. Oh, because so the vaccination doesn't give you the antibodies as such, doesn't it? So, the, is this, so it's not a live vaccine, I imagine, then? It's not a live vaccine, but it does give you the antibodies. It has on it what's called part of the spike protein. So it's basically like having the envelope without the letter inside. Okay. So your body recognises, thinks, and is tricked into thinking it's come into contact with coronavirus and it makes the antibodies in response to seeing that envelope but there isn't any of the active material any of the information to actually give you the illness just to make the antibodies okay, so and that's the, so, how a lot yeah. of vaccines work now so it's not going to be like contagion they're not going to get somebody into a room to cough into your face on purpose or anything like that okay. because I, maybe no. in my ignorance I thought that you had to try and catch it or you went out of your no, way to catch it specific, no no that's specifically why they want healthcare professionals because we're the most likely, likely at the moment to yeah. be coming into contact with it okay and I mean I, does that worry you at all but, I mean look for healthy people I don't know your age by the way Ellie but you don't look that old so for healthy people <laughs> under the age of 65 you know it's probably not a very dangerous virus it's, as we've noticed the virus is quite ageist um, yeah. and so but still there is a concern even though the mortality rate for your age group uh, for your health uh, would be quite low is it still a little bit of a concern isn't it? No it is a concern absolutely I mean I signed up for this trial I think about six or seven weeks ago so we were very much sort of in May still and still very much with those very scary daily figures every day of what was going on um, and the very high mortality rate. And I have worked as a doctor the whole way through COVID and sort of been, I hope, quite a useful member of society. But I still feel now and very much in May felt very desperate to do anything that I could to help get us out of this situation. Um, it's obviously awful for all of us and it's been 
terribly traumatic to be in healthcare um, during the pandemic as well. Well, particularly, well, particularly in the United Kingdom, of course, which was hit Absolutely. very hard. I mean, across Europe, it's probably performed the worst. Particularly in the UK yeah. and particularly yeah. in London, particularly where I work. Mm. So I, I suppose I was weighing up putting myself out there um, with some what I believe to be very small risks only versus actually this could be part of the answer to getting us out of this mess, which mm-hmm. for me is like probably a lot of people is all I really want right now. Yeah. Also, you know, I, I think if you are a healthcare professional, if you are a scientist, if you've got an understanding of what goes into um, vaccination research, into drug research, I actually realized it wasn't really such a high risk for me to be involved in a vaccination trial. There were huge amounts of things. I know, I know as, you're, as you're speaking, Ali, the anti-vaxxers are banging their heads off radios around the country at the moment uh, because, of course, sure they are. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of them out there. No matter how safe you tell them this vaccine is, when it eventually does come out, if indeed it becomes successful, they would never take it over their yeah. dead bodies. And they will start quoting all sorts of things. Now, we did, obviously, you know, in the past, there has been problems with some vaccines. The majority have been quite successful. But but some vaccines have. Like, for example, the swine flu vaccine. What happened to that one? There was obviously cases of narcolepsy and that particular one was taken back off the market again. But we've had some hugely successful vaccines in the last 100 years. Well, I mean, what I always sort of try and illustrate to people who are vaccine hesitant or vaccine refusers is to ask them about polio so when I had my children for the first time 16 years ago, I never discussed polio. I didn't really think twice about it. I've mm-hmm. never seen a case of polio as a doctor, whereas my parents' generation had a lot of childhood friends who were scarred and damaged by polio. There is no polio in, in the UK. Smallpox, TB, there exactly. are other ones. Yeah. All, of, all of these things we, we just don't know about, and the reason we don't know about them is because of vaccination. So you can discuss the sort of ins and outs of whether these things contain mercury or whether or not they are <laughs> well, that's, that's, Bill that's the main one. Yeah. Oh, Bill Gates, he was in the paper today and I'm sure they had a field day on that one. Of course, Bill Gates, as a philanthropist, has provided our finance vaccines in third world countries where people just couldn't afford uh, that type mm. of those type of pharmaceuticals. So, uh, But I know a lot of people have their own opinions on what Bill Gates is trying to do uh, by providing all that money. I think he's provided another $8 billion, I see, last week um, in relation to this particular vaccine and trying to develop this vaccine around the world too. So, I mean, look, if he has the money and he's willing to hand it over, sure, well and good. Uh, but it, the end result, when will they know or do you have any idea? I know you're you're only one of the guinea pigs, so to speak, at the moment. Mm. But do we have any idea how close we are? Because we were told, actually Oxford was mentioned going back about four or five months ago uh, at the start of all this. They were the kind of first on the ball of, that we saw mm. in the news. But, you know, we still heard time spans of, you know, 12 months to 18 months and some professors and doctors still saying it might never happen. Yeah, I think that's I think that's perfectly valid. It might never happen. I know that Imperial, who are running vaccine trial, they think it could be early 2021 that theirs would be ready and effective. It might happen. It might not. It might be a vaccine that's... Um, only partly effective it might not be effective in every age group or in every group of group you know sort of different sort of backgrounds of people um we don't know the vaccine trial that i'm on is one year in total but 
some of the trials we've already had, for example, the dexamethasone announcement three or four weeks ago, which was obviously hailed as a sort of great improvement, that's part of something called the recovery trial. And that part of it has been stopped early because the trial results are so clear that dexamethasone is so successful that they that they stop them early. So that can happen with a trial, that mm. even, if, even if you're supposed to be waiting for a year, if everything looks safe and super effective, they can already pull out the medications to start giving to people. I was reading there today that they've already spent in the region of $20 billion around the world in producing a vaccination uh, in development, obviously, in relation to the costs in producing vaccinations for mm. this particular coronavirus. Um, and sure, one hopes that at some point we get it. But let's say we don't. And as a doctor, mm-hmm. of course, you would be familiar with diseases and viruses that we don't have vaccines for. Is there is there anything at all that they're finding in the UK currently at the moment, which seems to have obviously the biggest problem in Europe, that is helping to treat COVID? I mean, any particular medications? We've heard numerous reports of different ones. You know, yeah, they're good. And then all of a sudden you hear WHO saying, no, that's not too good after all. And then they come back 10 weeks later and say, oh, actually, no, it was good. But is there anything particular? I mean, what are you treating people with as a doctor? Well, what people are having now is something called dexamethasone, which is a steroid medication that's been around for 60 years, which showed a 35% reduction in death rates for the most severely unwell. So as a GP, I wouldn't be prescribing that, but my colleagues in intensive care units are prescribing Mm. that for patients who are in intensive care and also patients who are on oxygen. And the reduction in the death rate is very, very significant. So that's been hailed as a real success. There's been a couple of medications. Um, Hydrocoxychloroquine, of course. Which yeah. was, but there was a story there about four or five, it must have been about five weeks ago, where they said they were going to provide hydrocoxychloroquine. I can never get out one go. Uh, they were going to provide that um, to all the healthcare workers at one stage in the United Kingdom. But that story kind of disappeared again. I don't think they ever did it. So what happened there with that one? Well, I mean, I can't imagine that would ever have been the case. Hydroxychloroquine is something that doctors are quite used to prescribing for other illnesses, so for example, lupus. And as with all medications, particularly very strong medications, you get pros and cons, and hydroxychloroquine particularly can cause damage to the eyes, it can cause damage to the kidneys. So there was no way, unless it would be proven to be an absolute wonder drug, miracle, magic bullet, it would have been given as a blanket to people. Mm. Um, despite what sort of Donald Trump... Yeah, well, it, well, it wasn't just Donald Trump, it was the Daily Mail, but then again, one was as bad as the other, I suppose, by times. You, <laughs> need to, you always need to, with everything, even with taking a paracetamol, it has to be safety first, and you would never sort of uh, suggest that people would be taking this medication and actually kill them from renal failure rather than COVID. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, good luck on the trial. Um, so far, you. you've So far, you've had no side effects that you're aware of anyway, no? No, not at all, not at all. It was just like having, I've had a lot of vaccinations anyway in my life, and it just felt like having a normal vaccination to me. So, I mean, Mm. I would like to think I've had the COVID vaccination and it's one that works, but it's possible I had the placebo. I I won't know. You won't won't know, of course. Yeah. And just before you go, by the way, there was also mention over the weekend, which was mentioned about two or three months ago, they kind of highlighted this, uh, maybe it's a correlation at the moment, but the BCG vaccine, which uh, is not being used at the moment because there's a world shortage and it's being kept for third Mm. world countries, Mm. but the suggestion that people who got the BCG vaccine, those under the age of 70 when it was first developed, um, may have some level of immunity. Have you heard that or is there any truth Mm, to that at all? Yeah. I have heard that, and I've heard that from um, also to do with the MMR vaccination as well, which we've been giving obviously only for 30 years. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, that 
people under a certain age do seem to be almost exempt from COVID and is there actually an association with the vaccinations that they've had? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is certainly possible. There is what we call cross-reaction between between viruses, between immunizations. So it is possible that one medication given for one disease actually protects you against another. But yeah, I don't but particularly, particularly if they're respiratory diseases as well, I imagine it would help, mm-hmm. I suppose. So, well, possibly help. So I'm sure more tests will have to be done that to find out that it, maybe if it's not just a correlation and there is actually a connection between the two. Listen, thank you Which very much indeed. would be indeed. great. It would be great. Thank you. Save us all a lot of time. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Ellie Cannon, and good luck with your human trial. And maybe we'll catch up with you again a little bit later on in the trial to see how you're getting on. Thanks very much. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. Maybe one step closer to a vaccination and we can avoid all the new normal then. If we got a vaccination, sure, we wouldn't have to worry about it too much. And those who are most vulnerable in society could get the vaccination, hopefully. And um, then we could all get back to some level of normality as well. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.